Hello and welcome to episode 396 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox. We're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. If you want to be LSAT famous, you can share news and ask questions on our website, thinkinglsat.com. This episode is going to air on Monday, April 3rd. Uh, coming up on Monday, April 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, I am apparently offering a free reading comp class. I didn't know that until reading this right <laughs> now, so that's great. <laughs> I mean, that's always when I teach, but I didn't know that this class is free. You can sign up for that at lsat.link forward slash Ben. Uh, we will be doing a reading comp passage together, and then I will read through it and show you how I read and engage with the passage, sentence by sentence. So I will read the whole passage to you and make comments on it as I go. And a lot of people comment that when I do that, they realize how closely they need to actually read. But they yeah. are doing that. Yeah. <clears throat> Don't miss it. It's one of the most popular classes in the Demon every week is Ben's class. So get the opportunity to come check out one of our biggest, best classes. Um, again, Monday, April 17th, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Ben teaching a reading comp class. How do people sign up for that? Uh, they can just go to lsat.link forward slash Ben, or if you already have a Demon free account and you go to lsatdemon.com forward slash classes, you'll see it there on the 17th of April. Yeah. Sounds great. Uh, if you're already a student of ours, or actually if you're a former student of ours, we are hiring for summer and beyond. If you're a former Demon Live student with a 170-something official LSAT on record, please get in touch with us. Uh, we need a, a video of you teaching a question or a logic game and a screenshot of your official score report. If you email those to help at lsatdemon.com and let us know that you're a former student interested in working with us. Uh, yeah, we are once again hiring. I think currently Ben, 100% of our teaching core is uh, former students of ours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know of anyone who has come from somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, unfortunately a few of them are leaving to go to the likes of, uh, UVA and where else are they off to this fall? Well, Harvard for them, sure. Yeah. To UVA. So that sticks out in my mind. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That it's they're populating all the best law schools in the country. And so we have to keep hiring our students, but we love doing that. So yeah, again, help at uh, lsatdemon.com if you are interested in teaching with us. We yeah. got an email here uh, from Anthony. The subject says full tuition scholarship, Iowa law. Hey guys, I wanted to say thank you. I returned from a deployment to Somalia in the fall of 2020 and decided I wanted to go to law school. I had a lengthy commute to work and started listening to podcasts about the LSAT. I stumbled upon yours early on and it became the go-to. I was shocked to hear you guys say it was possible to go to law school for free as I just assumed everyone who attends law school accumulates a shit ton of debt. Because of the podcast and you guys, I promised myself I would either go to law school for free or not go at all. I took the LSAT several times, October of 21. I scored a 155 in June of 22. I got a 160. And in October of 22, I got a 167. It was tough delaying the entire cycle, but I refused to put myself in a spot to be in school thinking I am paying somebody else's tuition. Yeah, well, if that's what motivates you, great, because 
that's what would be happening. I applied broadly, and I am happy to say that I received a full tuition scholarship to the University of Iowa College of Law. Because of investments and selling my house, I will graduate debt-free. Thank you. Cool. Uh, yeah, good news, huh? Yeah, that's awesome. It takes a little time, but now, you know, that time has passed. Right. It's over. And now you are going to law school tuition-free. Of course, it's going to cost you your time and probably some living expenses, but hey, it's still a pretty good deal. Yeah, I just looked it up. I mean, Iowa charges 49, sorry, 40, oh yeah, 48,000 plus feet. <laughs> it's like 47,880 <laughs> tuition plus 2,107 on fees, which gets you to just dollars short of the 50,000 round number. <laughs> but ah, okay. yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is a, it is $50,000 to go to this school in Iowa. And just so you're aware, they give scholarships to... 100% of their students. No, sorry. That's total number of students. I don't know why they have a percentage of the total number of students. That's always going to add up to 100. Um, of the students at that school, 67% of them are receiving grants. Yeah. Of those, 22% are getting full tuition. 17% are getting more than full tuition. That's 40% roughly of students who are not paying tuition to go to that school. That's why we say don't pay for law school at the end of every show. Yeah, that's not it's not one percent or two percent. It's forty percent of Iowa law students are going for free or more yeah. than free. Which is just I mean, it's clear. Don't go to Iowa law if you're paying tuition because forty percent of the class is paying zero. So uh, you know, and those are people like Anthony who were able to achieve an LSAT that indicates that they have the horsepower to sort of carry the load at that school. Right? Yeah. I mean they I think that Iowa expects that all of the people who are there on scholarships are going to be the ones who are going to be the real, I mean, the reason why they're letting you go there for free, it's not just generosity. It's because they think you're going to do something to raise the prestige of the school. So yeah, in the rankings, right? This is a transaction. They're paying you to raise their prestige or selectivity, which will then increase their value or perceived value to other people. Yeah. Anybody else? I, or what I wanted to say was, Anthony, good job. Anybody else thinking about going to Iowa this year, especially if you squeaked in at the last minute and they're trying to charge you full tuition, you're paying for your tuition and Anthony's tuition. And that's something that he wasn't willing to do. That's why he took another year. That's why he improved his LSAT by 10 points, 12 points. <laughs> and next thing you know, more. we don't know where he started, but yeah. He's saving himself $50,000 on a $25,000 degree. It's like a tr it's like a joke almost. How do you save yourself $50,000 on a $25,000 degree? <laughs> <laughs> Go to Iowa Law on a scholarship <laughs> because if you're not on a scholarship, you're paying $50,000 and if you are on a scholarship, you're going for zero and that means that on average it's worth maybe 25 grand. You know, I uh, want to clarify yeah. something for anyone who's new to the podcast. Whenever we talk about these numbers, for example, the $50,000, we're talking about the cost of tuition per year. So we're not talking about the uh, oh, yeah. cost yeah. of living cuz yeah, when I'm learning in the college 
or the undergraduate arena is that, of course, schools display this information in all sorts of different ways. They display their cost by credit. They display it, <laughs> you know, by semester and then by year. And, right. and so you have all this sort of confusion and it's hard to really pin down what the costs are. But also in undergrad, most people, when they're talking about cost of attendance, they're talking about tuition plus room and board plus transportation, living expenses, and so forth. So when you say it costs $40,000 to go to some university, what you're talking about is tuition plus all these other expenses, which oftentimes add up to more than the tuition, right? Just the expenses by themselves outside of tuition sometimes are more than the tuition itself. So when we say $50,000, all we're talking about is one year and tuition plus fees. <laughs> yeah, and that's... To break it down even further, you know, it's $50,000 for like seven, you're going to take seven or eight classes. Yeah. <laughs> and those classes are going to be 14 weeks each. And you're going to have about, what do you have? You have like three hours of class per week per class, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So you're looking at, uh, yeah, roughly you're looking at, let's say... Well, I should just do it by semester. So we're doing, yeah. So it's like 14 times three is 42, 42 hours of class probably for your first semester. Mm -hmm. uh, times six. So 242, roughly 250 hours for your whole three years of law school, roughly 250 hours of classroom education. <laughs> Let me go $150,000. Divided by 250 hours. Can that even possibly be right? It's looking to me like you're paying like $600 an hour for just sitting there in a lecture hall. Oh, uh, some of which you won't make it, right? You're going to sleep in on some days. <laughs> some of them you're going to decide. <laughs> I mean, like I did. It's like, oh, well, this professor is 90 years old and is clearly just reading from the book. Not even standing, just sitting down reading monotone at the front of the room. I don't need to go to that. I mean, in fact, I'd be an idiot to go to that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I must have done something wrong on the math there because that just seems egregious even for law school. But it is wild. I encourage you, um, you know, when you're a 1L, if you're there on a scholarship and you want to feel superior to everyone else, do the math of how much people in the room are paying for that lecture that you're sitting in. And by yeah. the way, everybody in the room is like shopping online. They're on watching their UFC yeah. fights on <laughs> YouTube, <laughs> just goofing around. And, you know, if you do the math of how much of the people in the room are paying for that lecture, it's like, wow, this is a $75,000 lecture. Hmm. Yeah. Are we getting that value out of it? <laughs> <laughs> Don't pay for law school. All right. Well, one more thing about this is yes. I was thinking I was I was talking to my son and I said, well, you know, <laughs> Uh, the cost of this year, I mean, he's he's looking at undergrad, but I said the cost of this year is like buying a Tesla. You could go buy a Tesla. And then I said, wait a sec. It's actually not like buying a Tesla. It's like renting a Tesla for right. a year. Because you don't at get the anything. Cost, yeah, because you, you get to use the Tesla for a year or eight months, and then you have to return it because there's <laughs> you don't keep anything. Anyways, uh, just don't pay for law school. Yeah, I mean, and it's like that Tesla turns into an anchor, right? Because so many people end up hating legal practice and 
dropping out entirely. You know, it's only like something like two thirds of law grads even end up working in the law ever. Yeah. And yeah. maybe half of those end up having a career in law that lasts for any appreciable amount of time. And then what percentage of those actually enjoy it, right? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. This next email is from Anonymous. The subject is unique fee waiver situation. In August 2021, I began the fee waiver application on LSAC's website, but I knew I would have to submit financial verification before I would be awarded the actual fee waiver. I was not able to slash did not submit this documentation until nearly a year later due to government benefits verification and the government being slow and my own procrastination. I learned that my two-year fee waiver, which includes two tests, 12 months of prep plus, and six applications, began to expire from the date that I began to submit the fee waiver application, not when my application was marked complete with all financial verification for LSAC to make a determination. So I found myself in the position where I was thinking that I had an entire year left of the fee waiver, but I don't. And given that it expires in August 2023, I must take the June test, even though I'm not even close to ready, and submit applications now before they close to the schools that are even still accepting applications. Also, they would have to wait until my June test is released. I mean, we would have to push back there and say, well, it's a super bad idea to apply really late in the cycle anyway. You should be looking at admission next cycle. But this is a bummer. Um, this is a bit of a PSA about how the LSAC fee waiver works. Yeah, it is odd. Okay. I'm going to skip the rest of this because we have a bit of a resolution. Haley from our customer service team says uh, LSAC got back to him and said, and these are his, his words. This is how he describes it. He says, as I still qualify financially for a fee waiver, I do not have to take the June LSAT. And it would not matter. I can reapply for another fee waiver that would last 24 months at the time of my current fee waivers expiration, which will be August 13th. So it sounds like, um, I don't know. Is there any, any information here that people need to be thinking about? Yeah, I guess just heads up. The timeline starts when you begin your application for your fee waiver. Um, if your financial situation changes and unlike this person, you can't reapply for the fee waiver, then, you know, you have that time frame. Also, just don't procrastinate. I mean, I realize the government bureaucracy can be slow, but um, that's the kind of thing just you have to respond as soon as you get whatever information you get. And you have big to part of. Big part of what lawyers do, you know, you're going to be doing yeah. government filings and then just waiting forever, forever, forever for them to act. And then when they do act, you need you need to act like immediately because you've got to you're the one that's supposed to be able to figure out how to make this machine work. Right. Yeah. You may even need to follow up before they, you know, right. Respond. You're yeah. going to be a professional hoop jumper if you're going to be a successful lawyer. So you've got to just get used to that type of thing. Yep. Um, one other thing I want to say here uh, in Anonymous's email <laughs> says, also, do you think a 3.1 UGPA will be looked at better at all if I have learned three masters, that's a CJ, whatever the hell that is, an MBA and an MSW with a combined 4.9? Even a tiny bit better? Anonymous asks, begging. <laughs> do you think well, it affects their 3.1 UGPA? Fundamentally, no, because that's the number that they have to submit to the ABA and so on. 
I do think it might alleviate on some level a admissions officer concern that, oh, this person isn't going to be able to cut it in law school. And it's like, okay, well, they went on and did some other master's programs, which aren't as challenging, but still they did them and they got a 4.9. Dude, 4.9? Oh, yeah. What is that? I just I even I, I just accepted that too as it <laughs> either it's some amazing honors or it's a typo. It could mean three point nine. Three point nine. Okay, let's if assume it, it's a three point nine. I'm gonna assume so. it's a three point nine. It's almost it's it's exactly equally impressive as a four point nine <laughs> because it's just fictional anyway. Like everybody knows that grades in MBA programs are just yeah. bullshit. Nobody's impressed by that. I'm sorry, but nobody's impressed by that. They they are maybe impressed that you went to school and successfully completed these advanced degrees. They are not impressed by your GPA in the slightest. They can't be. Well, I, <laughs> at least they got, I mean, are you saying that in master's programs, people don't get 3.0s? Yeah. What's the, they don't have any sort of curve at all? Mm-mm. That's got to vary from master's program to master's program. Sure, but I have two of them, and they were both like that. I mean, everybody was getting an A in every class. Like, you just do any work at all, you're getting an A. Well, then, yeah, grades are kind of useless. Right. Um, yeah, because it's a mess. It's a, it's a, I, I just don't necessarily accept that premise that that's true for all master's well, programs. I, I'm sure it's not true for, like, a master's in finance from Chicago. Yeah. Or a master's in... You know, um, I have a buddy who has a master's in civil engineering from Texas and it's Mm -hmm. like, no, that was like a serious STEM degree, but yeah, we've got an item actually later in the, in the, uh, agenda. Maybe we could skip down to it if I can. Oh no, no, it's on the, um, it's on the other side. It's on the daily agenda. I think anyway, yeah, yeah. (laughs) these you know, there's these like specialty, all these specialty programs now, executive, this and that. And they're just like trying to fish, you know, it's like, you can come to Harvard and Stanford and do these degrees. And it's like, you know, they cost $80,000 for a one year vanity degree, essentially. Yeah, it is insane. I mean, if you got to think about it from the school's perspective, all they have to do is put you in front of a teacher and now they're getting all this cash for... Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry to burst your bubble on that. I mean, I, I don't, I do not think that that it's just, they're not going to report your masters on their 509 report. And the the rankings agencies are not going to see that when they look at that, their, that school. So why would they take it into account at all? I don't, I just don't think so. Um, next one, this is, uh, you were the one who brought this to my attention uh, initially. Yeah, someone had emailed the help team and said, hey, your score conversion tool, which is on the Demon website, um, I think it's lsatdemon.com forward slash converter, is giving me a different LSAT score for the tests that I'm taking in LawHub <laughs> than LawHub is giving me. And it's like, oh, shit, okay, is there a problem? But immediately... Uh, and I think the help team responded this way. It was like, wait a sec. I think LawHub is giving you an LSAT score based on the old scoring system, which is based on two logical reasoning sections or four graded sections instead of three graded sections. 
it's that old 100 point scale. And I went into LawHub just to confirm, and yes, it is. Yeah, that was Jen on our help team who um, went in and checked that the older tests are always four sections and they're always in order as well. LG, LR, LR, RC. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was another concern of the of our student. They're like, wait a sec, the order that you're presenting the sections to me in these tests is different from the order that they are presented in LawHub. And that's because LawHub for some odd reason is not putting them the sections in the order that they were originally published. I mean, LSAC published these tests and they yeah. randomized the order and we follow that order. <laughs> yeah, in my business and in your business, Ben, before we were combined, yeah, we both used PDFs from LSAC that were four section tests because the test was four sections at the time. And it was two sections of LR, one section of games, one section of reading comp, and they were all out of order. Everyone was in a different order because that's how it is on your actual test. <laughs> and then now somehow when they created LawHub, they didn't think about it and they just decided to always put games first, then LR, then another LR, then RC. So now for all these people who are using, you know, we sometimes hear demon students even who are like, well, I like to go to LawHub because I want to do the test uh, the way it's going to be on the actual day. They essentially what they want is they want to use the shitty software that LawHub, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like kind of janky and ours is all slick and smooth and they, they don't want the slick, smooth experience. They want the real test day experience of like shitty software. So they go to LawHub to use the shitty software because they think it's going to be, you know, more like the official test, but it's not because LawHub is still giving you four section tests. The, the new test is now three sections. It's just one games, one LR, one RC. LawHub is still giving you four section tests and grading you based on four section tests, which means that on LawHub, 50% of the test is still logical reasoning. So the balance is off. <laughs> the balance of the test is different. If you're good um, at LR, your score is going to be skewed up. If you're bad at LR, your score is actually going to be skewed down. Yeah. And if you're good at games, your score is going to be skewed down on LawHub because yep. they're only counting games for 25% of your score instead of a third of your score. And as an added bonus, you're going to know every test you do that games is going to be first, then LR, then LR again, then reading comp. Yeah. So you go into the test expecting that order. Which is now, not going to happen on your actual test. And that's why in the demon, when you do a test, we give you the sections in any random order. Well, we actually give it to you in the order that they originally oh, printed in the, them. Oh, I see. And they've always consistently printed them in that order, right? When we got PDFs uh, or when we bought the books on Amazon, Test 73 had them in a certain order, right? I don't know what it is, but it might have been LR. And we've always comp. just stuck with that order and called yeah, it Section exact, 1, Section yes, 2. Yeah, yeah we matched it up exactly with that. And for whatever reason, they changed it in LawHub. Now, to be clear, there are some, There's, I think there's two or three, quote, modern tests in LawHub. I think it's just two. For the, the most three recently version. three section tests that they yeah. released. And, yeah. and they grade that correctly because there are only three graded sections and they give the sections in random order. But if you're looking at all the older tests, which is the vast majority of the tests that are in there, something like 70 tests or 60 tests or whatever. Yeah, 
They're, if they want to make LawHub more valuable for prep, they need to go in and drop one of those LR sections, which is what we did. We said, okay, we're yep, going to drop those exactly. LRs and use those as experimental sections and questions for drilling. And you can still do the questions and get explanations, but they're just not presented to you in the context of here is a test because a test these days doesn't have two sections of logical reasoning. Yep. Exactly. Nor are they always in that order. So we're not actually randomizing them, but we're we're virtually randomizing them by using the old legacy order that we got from LSAC, just with yep. one fewer section of LR. Yep. Okay. Anyway, glad we sorted all that out. Don't use LawHub if you're a demon student, please. If you're a demon student, just do all your work in the demon. Yep. Okay. This next one is from Jeff. The subject line is, does effective LSAT study require taking notes while drilling? Hey, Ben and Nathan, huge fan of the show and new user of the demon here. I've been enjoying the demon a lot, especially the drilling. While drilling earlier today, I found myself digesting the explanations pretty well, but realized I hadn't been taking any notes. That's when a new thought struck me. Semicolon. I never find myself taking notes when studying the LSAT. You'd probably want to use a colon there, wouldn't you? Because he's going right into the new thought. Yeah, yeah. The new thought is what struck you. Yep. Jeff, your semicolon privileges are revoked. We used to do that all the time on this show. <laughs> Anytime anybody used a semicolon, we would make sure to tell them not to do that. Don't do that, Jeff. Don't use semicolons. Don't use colons either. Just use periods and commas. Yep. It'll, you'll be on safer ground. Anyway, about taking notes on the LSAT. Jeff continues, is this common amongst LSAT students? I feel, sorry, the test feels like a difficult one to take traditional notes on. I would love to hear your opinions on note-taking while drilling, and if you think it's something that should absolutely be happening. Okay, and then he's going to go into a second question. You want to answer the note-taking question? I have strong thoughts. No, go ahead. You got it. The LSAT is a content-free test, largely. It's it's basically reading, comprehending, putting basic pieces of the puzzle together. There's not anything... I, I just don't think there are takeaways that you could be taking notes on on every single question. I When I see people take notes, it seems to me that they are just writing shit down instead of actually understanding things. I feel like if you if you kept asking questions, like if you kept, we've got a full written explanation of that question. Probably we've got multiple videos of that question, especially if it's a logic game, we might have seven videos going through the same game. You don't need to write down your own notes. What you need to do is you need to understand what we're saying about that question and you need to feel the click where you really get it, where you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I totally see it now. I misread, because I mean, probably the reason why you missed it is that you misread something. Figure out what you misread. Figure out what, <laughs> feel that click. And once you feel the click, I don't want you to ever go back to that question. So you can take notes, but it's not anything that I have ever done. It's not anything that I've ever encouraged a single student to do. I just don't think note-taking is really an efficient way to learn on the LSAT. Do you agree? Um, I do gr agree 80 to 90% with what you're saying. And maybe you, you are, you, you did say not, <laughs> not every question. And I agree with that hundred percent. I do think there is 
some value in articulating, like, for example, when I was studying, I had this a realization that I was confusing only if with if, and somehow like articulating that to myself. And all I'm talking about here is only if means then that's what I said to myself, right? That articulation somehow like made it concrete, but that's five words and it's once right. every <laughs> test maybe like, Oh, okay. An intermediate conclusion is something that supports another conclusion, but is also supported by a premise. Once you realize that maybe writing that down forces you to get your mind crystal clear on that concept. But this idea of taking elaborate notes on every question, let alone half the questions, is a waste of time. So I agree with you, and I, I think we're almost there. I think I'm open to this idea of, what is it? It's articulating or sort of verbalizing that sometimes in unclear thought and then like make making it concrete and then, okay, and yeah. now it's noted. I guess different people might learn in different ways. I never was a note taker in anything. So, you know, everybody should understand that, I guess, that even in an area where note taking is probably really useful, like law school, I yeah. never take notes. I don't find it useful to me to take notes. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's an idea too, and that is there is an ability to take notes in the demon and we have a limit on the number of characters that you can Good. write when you submit an ask question, right? <laughs> oh, we, we should limit the just, notes too. Yeah, just like, yeah. hey, hey, what's going on here, right? You're, yeah. What are you, are you writing a story? Because this is literally a couple words. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, okay. I now know the definition of this word. Yeah. It's anecdotal, but I've been doing this for a long time, and whenever I see people taking notes, it's almost always, I think, counterproductive. I just don't. Yeah. I, I think that you're, you're more often, you're just writing down a bunch of shit cause you don't really understand. And if you really understood, you would go, Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand. I read, I misread the argument, <laughs> you know, yeah. what are you going to write yeah. down? Don't misread the argument. Yeah, I guess you could, but I mean that like half of the mistakes that you're making are because you misread something. So yeah. I don't know that you need to take notes over and over and over about what you misread. You need to stop doing that. And when you miss a question, you need to confront the reality that you probably misread something and you need to read it again and again and again until you hear the click. You have to force yourself to get that click. And once you get the click, I don't, I don't think there's really much to be studied. You know, I see people taking notes on logic games, for example. Mm -hmm. Why? Just do the game again. Try yeah. the game again in a different way. Start over and do the game again, maybe in a different way. Yeah. Don't take notes on it. Solve the game. Let me see you get from what's on the page to the correct answers. Yeah. If you can get from what's on the page to the correct answers, then you got it. I don't, well, I don't need notes. Yeah. Here's a related issue, I think, with that. And that is um, when I was studying for the LSAT, I remember um, doing games and then seeing how my teacher did the game and then I would try to emulate that 
And, and then I would take out a blank sheet of paper and I would try again because even though it's like, oh, I'm starting to see where you're going and this is making sense. It's like, can I do that again without any notes? <laughs> right. Can I really yeah. recreate what just happened there? Because yeah, because if so you can do it again with your notes, like, that's oh, useless. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. It's right. like, okay, well, okay, good. I'm glad it makes sense. Go for it. Like, if it makes sense, then you should be able to redo it, especially right now after seeing it five minutes ago. And you'd be surprised how many people hit a roadblock. Right. They're like, oh, shit. Um, wait, I know X has to go in the third group, but I don't know why. I can't remember why. That's your problem. You're That's like your trying to memorize the steps that Ben yeah. did in his explanation yeah. instead of teaching yourself to fish yeah. and figuring out how to solve the question, like figuring out how to find those steps on your own. And I don't think note taking is going to help you get there. Yeah. yeah. I think it applies to LR and RC too. I just think you, you have to solve this shit on your own and like taking notes on how I arrived at the solution I don't think you're arriving at the solution. I heard a podcast. I think I've brought this up several times on the show, but I heard a podcast about people who were watching a video of, it was a study that they did involving a video of someone taking the tablecloth out from under a fully set table, you know, mm -hmm. with all the stemware and everything on it. And you come up and you snap the tablecloth out from underneath yeah. it and the, yeah. all the dishes used to be a thing that you'd see on TV all the time. And they did this study where they had people watch a like how to video of how to do it, watching a professional explaining all the steps, of course, doing it successfully. Yeah. And then they asked the people if they thought they could do it. Yeah. And it, it led to, uh, un, unreasonable um, confidence. It led to excess confidence that people thought they would be able to do it and then couldn't do it. Yeah. And you know, the punchline of the story is that the people who actually, who watched the video, but also attempted it on their own had a much more realistic <laughs> assessment of their abilities than the people who just sat back and watched. And yeah. people think that note-taking is like active but in a way, if all you're doing is taking notes on my video or Ben's video or taking notes on the written explanation, then you're kind of just, I don't know. That's not really you solving it yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, you want to hear Jeff's second question? Yeah, yeah. When drilling yeah. LR, I often get the answer choice that seems to be second best based on the indicator that shows how many people chose each answer. Maybe this is a dumb question, but what is something you would say to a student consistently picking the next best choice even though it's clearly wrong. First thing I'm going to say is that you're not consistently picking the next best choice. You are more often than not picking the right choice. <laughs> so when you miss it, yeah, you're picking the one that when people miss it, they tend to pick that answer. Is there a message yeah. there? Yeah. You have, <laughs> you have confirmation bias or you have, what is it like you're only noticing the problem Selection bias that you're not, you're not looking at the ones you got right. You're only looking at the ones you got wrong. So on the ones you got wrong, you find that you are consistently picking the one that most other people who also missed it chose. 
But yeah. when you get it right, you're picking the one. And by the way, most people pick the right answer on most questions. It's actually really rare to see a question where a wrong answer has more votes than the right answer. Yeah. So if you're picking along with the crowd, you're generally getting them right. And sometimes you're picking along with a smaller section of the crowd. You're picking the wrong answer. I don't know. All that means to me is that you are exactly like every other <laughs> LSAT student in progress. You know, you're improving, but you're not there yet. Yep. But then, yeah, I mean, also just make sure you understand the passage better and predict better. Yeah. Last thing I'll say is that I think you're being too passive, right? If you're, 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 when you're getting trapped by attractive wrong answers, it's because you're letting yourself read those attractive wrong answers without really having a good idea what the answer should be in the first place. And if you were more active, if you attacked the passage, if you made a better prediction, you might find yourself, I mean, you will find yourself less attracted to those attractive wrong answers because you never would have predicted that, right? You only are picking it because you read it and a lot of other people are picking it and they're reading it and they're going, oh yeah, 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 that could be good. Not noticing that it's totally wrong or completely backward yeah. or something that they never would have predicted in the first place. That's why why predictions are just so powerful. One of the reasons why predictions are so powerful. Yeah. This next one is from Will. Subject is raising UGPA after graduation. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I graduated from the University of Missouri two years ago with a low UGPA 3.1. Should I still reach out to MU requesting a change grades? Requesting to change grades so long after graduation? Huh, two years ago isn't that long. Uh, my diagnostic LSAT is a 153, and I'm confident I will break the 170 marker. I'm not signing up to take the official LSAT until comfortably over 170 on my practice tests. Good. In the meantime, is there merit in attempting to get my UGPA adjusted? Thanks, fellas. Will, yes, absolutely. Look, if you don't ask, the answer is no. <laughs> yeah, it makes me cringe a little bit to... I know that Will is... It's like, it's easier to just fire off an email to us, right? Yeah. You go to thinkinglsat.com and you fill out our little form and you're done and you don't have to worry about typos and stuff like we might roast you, but <laughs> we're not the ones that are actually making the decision. So Will's like asking us, is, a good, is it a good idea to ask? Yes, it's a good idea. It's always a good idea to ask. You're going to be an attorney. You need to be comfortable being a fucking pain in the ass. Like just start asking for special treatment on everything. Also, Will, I... I, this is a mistake that I, I make to this day, so don't take it the wrong way. Um, but your email to us is like this feeling of, hey, I'm checking something off, <laughs> right? As right. opposed to the actual work, which is like picking up the phone and calling MU or even emailing them, although I'd much rather you call them. It's uh, You're going to learn a lot faster what you need to it's do. It's procrastination. Procrastination. There we go. Yeah. It's procrastination because you're, you're like, Oh, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm talking to the guys. I'm going to get an answer here, but all you're really doing is procrastinating. I mean, you need to reach out to them and explain to them why they should change their grade, change those grades for you. Yeah. 
You're going to have to make that. You got to sell it to them. And by the way, an email is probably not going to get it done. I mean, you you need to probably hammer the phones or go and talk to them and then learn about how to do it. Because you're going to someone's going to tell you something. Oh, and by the way, have you thought about this? And and you're oh, no. Well, or they're going to say no. And then you need to ask the question, well, what sorts of circumstances do grades get changed? Yeah. Have, have you ever heard of someone getting their grades changed two years after graduation? Is that, has that ever happened in your entire career? Do you know any, can I ask your supervisor if that's ever happened in their career? Cause I yeah. know that this happens at other schools and you could come armed with whatever information we've given you on the podcast. And you know, just, you're going to like, you're a lawyer, Will, or, or you're not, but if you are, then you got to, you got to do the lawyer shit. I will give you credit, however, Will, for emailing us. There are also a hundred other people who have thought this question and done <laughs> nothing. So. Too lazy even to procrastinate. Yeah. <laughs> well, they just give up, right? And then the battle's already lost in their head. So yeah. good luck. Thanks, Will. Appreciate you writing in. Yep. Get in touch with Missouri. Do a reign of terror on them. I mean, like, really, like, don't don't take no for an answer. Like, keep asking. You have nothing to lose. What are right. they going to do? Give you a lower? <laughs> no, they can't make it have. worse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Start off nice and, you know, kiss ass and make connections and try to see if you can massage it. And then if you can't massage it, then I don't know, you maybe could go up the ladder a little bit and try to get a, a higher authority. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I still, I think like 95% of the time they're going to say no. Yeah. But a lawyer would hear that and go, Oh, so you're saying I have a chance, you know, <laughs> is, is 5% it 5% chance? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I heard is it, it worth yeah. it? If it's a 5% chance? Yeah. Like it's probably worth hours of Will's time, even if it's only a 5% chance. These are the two numbers that matter. Your GPA yeah. and your LSAT. Those are the two numbers that matter. Not going and getting an internship, which people spend <laughs> hours right. and hours doing to no avail. Yeah. Right. Anyway. This next email, thanks, Will, and good luck. And let us know what happens if you do end up reaching out. This is from Molly. The subject is every aspiring law student should read this book. I'm going to give this a partial endorsement because I actually went on Libby and I saw I could read a sample of it for free. So I actually read the first couple chapters. Um, Anyway, Molly says, have you guys read Way Worse Than Being a Dentist by ex-lawyer turned therapist Will Meyerhofer? It's a hilarious, searing indictment of the state of the legal profession that will quick, quickly disabuse readers of all the lies law schools tell you. It's delightfully entertaining, but carries an important message. He would be an amazing guest to have on the show. I've read all the books you've recommended, and I'm grateful that if I do ultimately pursue law, a big if, I will be going in with my eyes wide open. Thanks for all you do. That's from Molly. So I checked this book out. I think it's like from the, uh, no, I don't even remember, late 90s maybe, or, well, no, it's not actually, no, it's not even that old. It's like 10 years old, I think. Okay. Um, I see you copying and pasting, so maybe you'll find out an actual year. Um, I found it to be amusing. It reminded me of me, kind of, which means that it's a little bit extra and some people are going to find it hilarious and some people are going to be like, Oh my God, I can't stand this guy. Yeah. Uh, the positive reviews were coming from lawyers mostly who were like, Oh my God, you nailed it. This is spot on hundred percent. 
the negative yeah. reviews were like, why are you being so negative about this? The legal profession is blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I don't think you should be trying to tell people not to. And it's like from an LSAT student, right? Or, a, yeah, or maybe yeah. a law student, but not from an actual lawyer. So the lawyers were chiming in pretty heavily on the side of, yup, you got it. This is exactly what legal practice is like. Um, yeah, uh, I guess we have some selection bias there, right? The kind of lawyers that are actually looking for this. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unhappy people complain the most. So yeah, yeah we do, we do have a, a bias there, but I mean, anyway, it's, it's another one of those things where, uh, oh, I th thank you, Ben. It's a book from 2011. I don't know why I had it yeah. in the nineties. Um, as you get older, the decades just totally blur together. So like taking one more year to wait to go to law school or taking Seems, two more years to go. Yeah, silly, right? Yeah. Who was it up at the top of the show that got himself a full ride to Iowa? Anthony, you know, it, he said it was tough delaying an entire cycle. It's like, dude, when, when you're in your forties, you're going to have whole decades that just... <laughs> are are fungible they don't they're all yeah. kind of the same right and you just don't oh yeah even... when did we go to uh mexico again was that in was that, <laughs> was that in the 90s or is that in the 2000s i'm yeah. trying to remember yeah it's all gonna merge together yeah yeah i i think people should read that book i mean put me in charge of the u.s department of education i don't want to be in charge of it i just want to be in charge of certifying schools or like, I don't want to be in charge of who qualifies to get loans for law schools. Yeah. Or, or just be in charge of the loan <clears throat> program generally. Right. And I would give you a test on the book. Don't go to law school unless that was actually a much older book. And maybe this book too, uh, way worse than being a dentist. I, I just, why shouldn't you read it? <laughs> what what case could there possibly be for not reading it? Yeah, if law school is right for you, then as you read it, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, okay, I see these potential problems, but I understand, and that's fine with me. But if you're scared to read it, that's a big red flag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know where the title comes from? Way worse than being a dentist? Do you know why no. a dentist is in the title there? No. Dentists apparently are the number one suicide profession. What? I don't know why. I mean, if you think about it, it's pretty fucking miserable for almost everybody when you go to the dentist, right? Like, even if you're only going in for a cleaning, it's not like people like going there. Yeah. Right? So you're... I mean, obviously you're helping people and, you know, it's necessary and I'm not saying don't go to the dentist, but when <laughs> I go to the dentist, it's not my favorite day. You know, my dentist is not someone I want to see. I'm only seeing them because I have to. And yeah, okay. <laughs> it reminds me so much of how I feel about lawyers. Yeah. When you're going to see a lawyer, it's <sighs> not because, you know. It's fucking terrible. Great. It's the worst. I mean, if sometimes, right? You might be closing the deal and you need them to make it's this still fucking miserable. Happen. It's still miserable yeah. because they're going to tell you all. It's going to be so annoying because they're going to tell you all of the things that you haven't done right yet. And they're going to tell yeah. they're going to tell you, oh, well, we need documentation of these 25 things before we can move forward. Hmm. 
you know? And so it's, it's just awful. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, dentist is a high suicide profession. I'm not sure if lawyers is a high suicide profession, but it is a high alcohol and drug abuse profession. It's a high divorce, depre- uh, divorce and depression. And, you know, it is a miserable profession along the yeah. lines of dentists. Wow, suicide. Jeez. Dentists okay, make more money, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you, Molly, for giving us that heads up. I had never heard of that book before. I definitely think it should go on our reading list. And, uh, yeah, if anybody has a connection to Will Meyerhofer or, excuse me, um, Will, if you happen to hear this, um, yeah, come on the show and talk about it. We'd love to have you. He, he, by the way, he was a law firm lawyer who then quit and went back to school and became a therapist. And now he's a therapist who specializes in lawyers who want to leave the law, basically. Oh, yeah. Which is a huge thriving practice. That, that was like the um, the girl I interviewed when you weren't on the podcast. You were gone for some reason. She had left law, I think, if yeah. I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And yeah, now she's helping people find careers outside of the law. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, that's where you don't want to end up, right? Let's let's make that very clear right here, right now. You don't want to end up sitting in a therapist chair because you need to find another career. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Next email is from Sarah. Subject is work experience. Thirty-year-old law school applicant with eleven years of experience as a paralegal. Okay, that was a opening fragment. Thank you, Sarah. To the point, I guess. Almost two to the point. All five of my employers, law firms, have loved me. One even expressed that in his 18 years as a managing attorney, he never encountered an employee with my skill set and work ethic. My first years in college were terrible. As a first-generation college student, I did not know what the F was. I was. I did not know what the F I was doing. I almost read that as like a grade. I got many W's and F's on my transcripts for failing to drop classes. I was more focused on surviving and working to pay rent. I had to move out at the age of 18 and have not received a single penny from my parents since. Can I, I uh, can I make a quick interjection here? Go for it. We get a lot of emails from people who say that they got W's and F's for failing to drop classes. Yeah. Another way you could say that is I got a W and an F for registering for a class that I did not complete. Like (laughs) we have to start taking responsibility for, you know, I think it's just a better story to tell yourself. Yeah. (laughs) You can tell whatever story you want, but you failed to drop a class. (laughs) What? Also known as you registered for a class. And you didn't go for whatever reason, you know, yeah. you, and you got sick and whatever. And then you also failed to, to drop the class, but yeah. <laughs> you registered for it. You're the one yeah. that was at the school. You know, you did this to your record. So I don't know. I, this it's such a, it's to me, it just feels like kind of a lazy excuse, you know? Oh, well, I mean, I just forgot to drop it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, imagine how that sounds to a school. Like if you're going to actually say that to a school, yeah, they're like, oh, well, was it our, was it the school's fault? Yeah. I mean, are you going to, if you do something similar to that at our school, are you going to blame us for that as well? 
I'm not yeah. really picking on you specifically, Sarah. It's just something that we hear a lot. And it's something that I think maybe we should uh, reconsider. Yeah. Sarah continued, I, I did everything I could to get straight A's when I transferred to a university, which I did. I ended up with a 3.01 cumulative GPA. I have done a lot of community service, including being an AmeriCorps member. I will be taking the April LSAT. How much leverage do you think law school is placed on work experience when evaluating a prospective student's potential to succeed in law school? I am in OC, California, Orange County. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> I think none of that matters except for there's two things there that matter, which is 3.01 cumulative GPA, which you can't do anything about 11 years of experience as a paralegal. I do not want you to talk about AmeriCorps. Uh, there I are, would add, go ahead. Oh, there's a lot of 22 year olds who have done AmeriCorps. Who gives a shit? You're an 11 year paralegal, Sarah. You've worked in the law for over a decade. You're going to have real strong letters of recommendation from your employers, from law firms. And you're going to be able to write a personal statement that talks about your professional experience in law. You're, you look to me, if you emphasize your legal experience, you would look like somebody who is going to outperform their GPA. The second you start talking about other community service and AmeriCorps and shit like that. It's now you sound blur. like every other K through JD. Yeah. It's going to hide, right? It's not hiding, but it's going to like make the uh, experience you have as a paralegal less prominent and you want to have that stick out. I was going to add one more thing. You said the 3.01 and the 11 years of experience. I agree with that. I would also add an addendum, two sentences, maybe one sentence, talking about your 4.0 once you yep. transfer to a university. That's a that's don't a slam dunk. don't talk about the failures to withdraw. Don't talk about that shit. Just just say, yeah, the the facts that are in your favor are. After I transferred to university, I got. <laughs> A 4.0 for three years straight, my last yeah. three years of school. Or yeah. whatever and then if, it is. if yeah. you have to put one more sentence that says this more fairly, uh, this is a, a better example of my actual promise in law school or something. I don't know. You figure it out for yourself. But one you more sentence. To, Although I don't know. I, to me, it's like. To us, Ben. Patently obvious. I know. Right? I know. But I, I think you can go ahead and make that conclusion, especially because a one sentence addendum might look a little weird and you can make it look a little more like a paragraph if you just put one more sentence in there. Yeah. I I think it's justified. But really, I mean, Sarah, let's be honest. They're going to look and see if you have the LSAT to, to justify this story. And if you come in with a real nice LSAT, then they're going to be more willing to grant. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. Bad, you know, first couple years of school, but then clearly turned it around. And we know that they've got the horsepower because look at this LSAT. If you try to get away with this with a mediocre LSAT, good luck. Nobody's going to give a shit about your addendum because, you know, if your numbers are just not representing somebody who looks like someone who's going to be successful at that school. Yeah. Next one. Yeah, the next one's from Peyton. The, law, the subject is law schools outside of the United States. 
Hi, Ben and Nathan. I was wondering what knowledge either of you have on law schools outside of the United States and what you know about the LNAT in comparison to the LSAT. Had you ever even heard of the LNAT before, Ben? No, this is the first time I'm seeing that. Yeah, we got a link here, lnat.ac.uk. And uh, I copy pasted a graphic from their website. What is LNAT? The Law National Aptitude Test helps you understand if law is the right career path for you. And it helps universities check that you'll be able to succeed on a law course. What it is, a test of your verbal reasoning skills, a test of your ability to understand and interpret information, a test of your inductive and deductive reasoning abilities. I don't know the difference between those two types, by the way. A test of your ability to analyze information and draw conclusions. Sounds just like the LSAT. Yeah, it does. What it isn't, according to them, it's not an intelligence test, and it's not a test of your knowledge of law. Sounds pretty similar. Sounds exactly like the LSAT. It does have um, some essays on it, which the LSAT doesn't really, or not scored anyway. Um, Anyway, there's a link here if you want to learn more about the LNAT. Apparently, it seems like a... To me, the the website was making me think that it was a pretty good test. Mm. Um, but I don't know why I really came to that conclusion. Okay. Uh, and it's good for a ton of schools. There's a whole list of schools, uh, including London School of Economics uh, and University of Oxford. And so it's like a, you know, <laughs> apparently this is a test that they're really using in the UK Their argument is very similar to the argument in the U.S., which is, hey, we can look at people's A-levels, you know, which is the U.K., uh, that's that's your grades, right? We can look at your A-levels, but that only tells us part of the story. We would like to have a test that's specifically targeted toward verbal reasoning, understanding and interpreting information, reasoning abilities, Ability to analyze information and draw conclusions sounds exactly like the LSAT. And I imagine that schools over there are using it the exact same way that schools here are using the LSAT. Yeah, I just started a sample test. It's given me 95 minutes to complete this section, I believe, that has 42 questions. And the first passage looks exactly like a reading comp passage. And the questions... um, they sound pretty similar. Yeah. For example, which one of the following is not cited as evidence for the existence of <laughs> self-isolating tribes? Okay. That's yeah, sounds like an outside question. Interesting. Something answers. we might want to yeah. learn more about, uh, Ben and I. Um, but sure. we got two more emails. Uh, this next one is from Sam, and it says, Personal Statement Palooza? Question mark. Hey, guys. Big fan of the pod here. I will be applying to schools early! Exclamation point. Next cycle with a 172, that's from January of 2022, one and done after many hard months of studying. Hmm. One and done? You just <laughs> took it once and you got a 172? You have some room above Yeah, that. why wouldn't you take it again? But okay. You have a, th- okay, so Sam continues, and a 3.5 GPA in econ and Chinese from a non-Ivy liberal arts school. I'm not a URM and a fairly traditional applicant. Big law paralegal in New York City, but I would love some T20 acceptances to choose from come this time next year. I plan on spending the next few months drafting different versions of my, quote, story that will eventually converge into one really strong 
personal statement. They'll converge. I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> if you, I would actually draft different stories. Right. <laughs> Not different versions yeah. of your story. Ch- choose different stories to write about and let the substance drive which one you then narrow down into not the uh, versions of the story. Also, write about being a big law paralegal. Yep. Not your my story sounds a little <laughs> We don't want your origin story. We want we want if you're asking us for our advice and you have any professional experience, especially law professional experience, that's what we want to hear about. We don't want to hear about your, you know, grandparents or whatever. I just don't I, I just don't find it compelling because everybody's got Grand, or know. high school or early college. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sam continues I'm wondering if you plan on doing another personal statement Palooza series, and if so, when you might accept, it, accept submissions for it. Um, the masochist, Mac, Maso, how do you say that? Masochist. Masochist in me would love to get my writing publicly aired out on air. I like that little turn of phrase there at the end. Yeah. Okay. Um, we, I don't know. How do you feel about it, Ben? We did a whole series of them, or we did at least a couple of them last year where we got a whole bunch of submissions and we did some personal statements and went through them. Um, I find it to be largely ineffectual when we give personal statement advice, which is why it's sort of bad for my mental health to give personal statement advice. Yeah, it was draining. It was draining to... <laughs> give con what we thought was concrete advice on what to talk about, how to say it, everything from topic down to stylistic suggestions only to read yet another personal statement that proceeded to violate seven yeah. of the 12 things we repeatedly say over and over again. So it's like, uh, what we're yeah. not conveying and- our, our ideas in an effective way. I agree. And not only that, but even when people do like their, their best to follow our advice, like I wrote that one blog post, the one blog post that I regret more than any other blog post was the one that I wrote with that sample format for how to do a personal statement with the, I am, (laughs) I did, I do, you know, that's that sort of a thing. (laughs) And even when people follow that format, they don't choose the right stuff to include. Yeah. So they do the format, but then they tell stupid stories inside the format. And it's like, fuck, okay, yeah, I'm not helping you. I'm not helping you because yeah. you're yeah. you're still just choosing the wrong stuff. So I don't know. We might do one maybe for comedy purposes. Summer's a good time to do it. Mm-hmm. We'll think about it. Right now, we're not accepting submissions. <laughs> if we get a clamor for it, then maybe we would do another episode of Personal Statement Advice uh, sometime this summer. Yeah. Last email is from Ashwin says, Hey, Ben and Nathan, I've been listening to your podcast for a while now and wanted to ask you a career oriented question. I know Ben has touched on some of the benefits of using chat GPT in schoolwork, et cetera, but I was curious how it would affect the legal profession in general. <laughs> I think this is something that we're totally unqualified to answer, but I'll, I'll keep going. Do you think with recent developments, such as ChatGPT scoring in the 90th percentile for the bar exam and 80th percentile for LSAT, that chat GPT will eventually crowd out employment in the legal profession. I know if it does become universally used, it will probably affect more than just lawyers jobs, but I'm curious if you think practicing the law involves a certain level of creativity that cannot be replicated through AI. 
I realized that there are better reasons to convince myself not to go to law school, but I'm genuine, genuinely curious on y'all's opinion on this. Thanks, Ashwin. I mean, whether we're qualified or not, I'm going to strongly say that I think chat GPT and tools like it, especially as they evolve over the next couple of years, they're language tools. The legal profession is pr primarily a battle of words. And you ask, you know, is there something about humans that, you know, is more creative than yeah. AI could ever become? That doesn't matter. Even if that's true, <clears throat> even if there's always a necessary human element, the reality is it's going to, in my opinion, replace certain aspects of the legal profession. And my guess is a larger chunk than a smaller chunk. I would bet 50% of the legal work that is done right now will be replaced easily. Yeah. Doc review, all that shit. Yep. I got, I got two things to say about it. Uh, well, maybe more than two things to say about it. Uh, I have already used it successfully to make my work better. I was making a syllabus for the class that I'm going to teach coming up. I'm going to do another one of those like uh, economics for lawyers, like finance for lawyers kind of a class just to make sure that people know what profit and loss and revenue and market share and all the, you know, people need to understand what inflation and I don't know, <clears throat> supply and demand, you know? Yeah. So I'm doing another one of those classes and I had a whole list of things that I wanted to include. I had written bullet points. I'm going to touch on this, 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 this. And then I was like, you know, what would be nice. A glossary. Hey, chat yeah. GPT, define all these terms. Boom. Yeah. Uh, put them in alphabetical order though. Boom. Yeah. Bold the subject of each sentence. And it wasn't just one word in the subject. It was like, you know, it would be a, sometimes it was a multi-word phrase. Yep. Boom. Did it. I thought about it for a second. I go, wonder what I'm leaving out. Suggest more items for the list. <laughs> Boom. Adds like, it, it gave me like 10 suggestions. I picked, I was like, eight of them were good. Eight of them were yeah. perfect. I was like, yes, add eight of those, not these other two. Yeah. Okay. Now re-alphabetize it. <laughs> then you got to keep an eye on it. Cause it'll like drop stuff that it had previously put on the list. It only <laughs> it, like, it, it's weird, right? It's real weird. You did, you can't yeah. understand what it's actually doing. Cause it's like not actually intelligent. Yeah. But as a tool, I learned to use it successfully in just no time at all. Yeah. And it was like, wow, this is incredibly powerful. The one thing that it makes me think, has anybody tested it on blue booking? Blue booking seems like a perfect application of this technology. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and if for any of this stuff that it doesn't do well, people are going to develop <clears throat> offshoots And it'll be it. better. Yeah that will perfect it. And then boom, it's so, that person's job is now gone. I do think that there is a certain level of creativity that cannot be replicated through AI, but I think that you're going to end up with one lawyer doing the work of 10 lawyers. Yep. Exactly. Using AI. Yep. That's exact. I mean, that's true for everyone. That's going to be true for so many people in so many industries. Imagine a, a board meeting. You know, you, you watch these movies of the future and people are in a meeting and they talk to the AI. Yeah. 
and it, it generates content and it, it makes everything exponentially faster. Instead of saying, hey, Joe, will you summarize the meeting for today? It's like, all right, what's the summary for the meeting? Send that out to everybody and add anything that we missed. <laughs> yeah, full AI transcript doing it. Yeah. and a summary translated into five languages. <laughs> Blue Make book, all the legal citations. <laughs> yeah. Make it a WordPress website and... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's a, it's a crazy amount of available time essentially. Right. It's yeah. just, it's just man hours. They're not men, but they're, well, it writes better than most of the people who send us personal statements. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, yeah. Is, is chat GPT going to be bad for lawyer jobs? Fuck yeah, it is. It's going to yeah. be real bad for the people who are in law school right now you know, at bottom feeding types of law schools. Well, you know what it's going to be good for is it's going to be good for the best of the best. The yeah. best attorneys are going to benefit from it because now they don't have the the current cost that they have. They're also going to be exponentially faster because even if you have one person working under you, that person working with the AI can now be faster than they were before. So then that just draws even more the more of the money from it's, that industry is going to come to you so it's going to it's going to be good to yes it's going to be good for the one partner or rising associate who comes in and says hey you know this whole army of contract lawyers that we have yeah i want to replace their whole department i'll do it yeah. myself i'm going to do it myself in with these tools well, and even if they don't do it themselves, if they do it with five attorneys underneath them, they're now doing that with five attorneys instead of a hundred. Right. right. Uh, yeah, exactly. It, it, it doesn't, I don't know what yeah. the numbers are going to be and how the application is going to be, but the point is it's efficiency. Therefore jobs will be lost, especially at the bottom. Yep. Yep. Thanks Ashwin for writing in. Yep. Be LSAT famous. Please ask questions or share news with us at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, you can email help at lsatdemon.com. You can also check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 396 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.